Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. So inshallah this week we continue with our tafsir of Surah Al-Asr which we began last week and we kind of spent last week going into a very long and detailed explanation of uh, a number of things, the introduction to the surah, uh, Surah Al-Asr and we mentioned the difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to whether it's a Makki or a Madani surah but then we kind of went into a lot of detail just speaking about the, uh, the use of uh, time and the concept of time that Allah mentions in the Quran and the different periods of the day and the night that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran and then we went into some detail concerning the qasm, the oaths that Allah takes in the Quran and the whole science behind aqsam in the Quran and the different, um, the different uh, ways in which Allah takes an oath in the Quran. So that was kind of like a very somewhat long introduction um, into, into the surah and inshallah today we go into the tafsir of the actual surah itself. So Allah Azza wa Jal begins by taking this oath as we began with last week by making an oath and taking an oath by a particular time of the day. And as we said last week, Allah Azza wa Jal, one of the most common oaths that he takes in the Quran is an oath by a part of a day or a part of the night. So wal-duha, wal-fajr, wal-layl, or even wal-shams, right? And wal-qamar, the sun and the moon as being, you know, like indicators of a portion of the day and the night. And then in this surah we have wal-asr. So Allah Azza wa Jalla often takes uh, an oath by those particular times of the day and night and the scholars in their books of tafsir will usually give a reason as to why. Why Allah Azza wa Jalla took a particular oath by that particular time of the day and the night. So for example, in wal-duha, wal-layli idha saja, surah al-duha, about the, the time once the sun has risen into the sky in the morning after sunrise, that it's a time when people usually because the surah speaks about how the Prophet ﷺ stopped receiving revelation and then he felt that he had been abandoned and then Allah revealed the surah to him that people who are usually upset and have stresses and worries and anxieties it is a time of the day that usually preoccupies them with those types of anxieties the, the first thing that you think about in the morning when you wake up are the worries and the anxieties and the hardships that you face and so Allah takes an oath by that time of the day to show that he is the Lord and the creator of that day or that part of the day and that Allah Azza wa is the one who therefore controls what takes place throughout the day and night but he uses that part of the day as an example. So similarly here we have Allah Azza wa taking an oath by time or Al-Asr and actually Al-Asr even though in every translation more or less that you have uh, will, will kind of like go into the two main uh, opinions there are like four kind of opinions as to what the scholars said concerning the meaning of al-asr. The two most common ones are the two that you will find in the translations. The first of them is that it refers to time in general. Right? And that's the one that you have uh, in the Muhsin Khan translation, in the Sahih International translation, uh, Mufti Taqi Uthmani, his translation and so on. And the other one is that it's not referring to time, but it's referring to that particular time of the day. So the first one is a very general, right? time as in the concept of time in general. The second is that time of the day of Asr, which is towards the evening, right? When, as the sun is setting, the period between Asr and Maghrib. And that's the, that uh, Professor Abdul Halim 
has taken and picked all, for example, that's what they kind of like base their translation upon. And as we've said numerous times before, what is a translator actually doing? Therefore, they're translating for you a tafsir, right? They're picking a tafsir from amongst the opinions that are out there. They're taking the one that they consider to be the strongest or maybe the most closest linguistically to the Arabic, and they're taking that, and that's what they're translating for you. And so it's an important principle to remember when you're going through translations, is that it's not a, an exclusive meaning to the verse, or that it's the only opinion, or that it's the only view amongst the scholars of tafsir, and that it can only mean what the translator has chosen. He's pick, picked one of the many, or sometimes the many, or number of views that may be present on that issue or concerning that verse of the Qur'an. He has chosen one. However, there may well be others. That's why you have a big difference between relying on a translation of the meanings of the Qur'an, no matter how good that translation may be, and between doing the tafsir of the Qur'an. Right? There's a big difference between the two, and one doesn't really substitute the other. The translation doesn't really substitute the tafsir. So those are the two most common opinions, and, and those are the ones that we'll begin with. It's reported that Abdullah ibn Abbas anhuma, chose the opinion uh, as is collected from him and rated from him that the meaning of al-asr is that dahr, meaning time in general. Time and the concept of time. That Allah Azzawajal is taking an oath by time. And this was also the opinion that Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah mentions in his sahih from, from some of the scholars. And it's the opinion of Zaid ibn Aslam. That therefore it is referring to time. Time in its most general form. And that's the opinion that Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala chose as the strongest of the opinions that it's generic, that it's general, that it refers to all of time. He said in his tafsir, and the correct opinion is those who say that our Lord took an oath by time. Al-Asr refers to by time. So it includes the day and it includes the night. And he didn't specify a particular time of the day nor a particular time of the night, but rather it is something which is included within that general word. So anything which is included under the concept of time day, night, any part of the day, any part of the night, all of that is included, he says, in the meaning of al-asr. And that's also what al-imam uh, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah chose as the strongest of the opinions, and he said that's the one that's closest to the linguistic meaning. It's the one that Ibn Kathir rahimahullah chose as well, he said, and this is wal-mashhuru hadha, this is what is well known. And that is that it is the time that Allah Azzawajal has given the children of Adam or people to spend in this life. Right, the time that they have been afforded. And then what they do in that time, either of good or of evil. So that's the first opinion. Right? And that's the one that's you know, like the most common one, I think, today. And the one that you know, many of the scholars of tafsir also chose. The second view, as we mentioned in the translation, is that it's not referring to time in general, but a specific part of the day. And that is the part of the day that we would call asr. Right? In Arabic, if you say asran, right? the time of Asr, you're referring to the period of time between Asr and Maghrib, right? That time is called Asr. So that's also reported by Qatada and Ibn Abbas. Radiyallahu anhumah Qatada rahimahullah also said, nahar. It is an hour from the hours of the day, meaning that it's referring to a specific portion of the day. And it's reported that Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah said, ma qabla maghib al-shams. It is the time before sunset, before the sun sets. And Al-Hasan al-Basri, rahimahullah ta'ala, said something similar. And Ubay ibn Ka'b, radiyallahu anhu, is reported that he said, Aqsama rabbukum bi-akhirin nahar. 
that your Lord took an oath by the final part of the day, meaning daylight, right? The final part of, of daylight. And that's the opinion that they chose uh, based upon also the, the linguistic meaning of the word Asr, right? Asr can mean time in the Arabic language, but now it is, most, it is commonly also referred to in the Arabic language as a part of the day that the time of Asr usually refers to. And that is the last couple of hours before the sun sets, right? That is called Asr. And so when you're speaking to people and you say, someone says to you, for example, you know, in Arabic, asran, three o'clock Asr time, they don't mean that that's the time for Asr prayer. It means that it's that time of the afternoon coming towards sunset that is Asr time or the Asr period of time. So those are the two well-known ones. But Imam al-Mawardi, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, he mentions two other opinions as well, and both of them are narrated from Muqatil, rahimahullah, the scholar of tafsir. So the third opinion, therefore, or the, you know, the first of the two additional ones that he mentions, and so the third opinion overall, is that it's referring to the Asr of the Prophet wasallam, meaning the life and the time of the Prophet wasallam. And he said, Muqatil said this, and then Imam al-Mawardi comments and he says, and that's because of the the honor of that time and the virtue of that period of time, the lifetime of the Prophet So Allah is taking an oath by the life of the Prophet and his time. Right? That's the third opinion. The fourth opinion is uh, similar to the second but more uh, specific, and that is that it's referring to the prayer, the Asr prayer. Right? And the Asr prayer is, uh, as we also know, as-salatul wusta, right? As, as is mentioned in the Quran, hafidhu ala salawati wa salatil wusta. And that is mentioned in the hadith, the Prophet when he spoke about it, he said, it is salatul wusta, salatul asr, right? The, the middle prayer is salatul asr. So Muqatil said that it's also salatul asr. And he says the reason why it's referred to in that way, that, the, that Allah is taking an oath by that prayer, by that specific time of the prayer, he says because it's something which is found within the sunnah. It's something which is mentioned generally in the sunnah. So for example, you have the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhu man sahih al-Bukhari, which he says that I heard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say wa huwa qa'imun ala al-minbar, whilst he was standing upon the minbar, he said, innama baqa'ukum fima salafa qablakum min al-umam, that indeed your situation or your example compared to the nations that came before you is like the example, kama bayna salat al-asri ila ghurub al-shams. It's like the example of the Asr prayer until Maghrib, until the sun sets. He says, The people of the Torah were given the Torah, so they worked according to it until midday. Until which time? Midday, which is which prayer? Dhuhr prayer. And then they were unable to continue. So they were given a qirat, which is an amount of reward. It is a a volume of reward. They were given a qirat and a qirat. Thumma And then the people of the gospel were given the gospel. Fa'amilu bihi. And they continued to work according to it hatta salat al-asr. Until the asr time. Thumma ajazu. And then they were unable to continue. Fa'atu qiratan qirata. And they were also given their share of reward. Thumma utitum al-Qur'an. And then you were given the Qur'an. Fa'amiltum bihi hatta ghurub al-shams. And you worked and continued to work with it until the sun had set. 
So you were given double reward, a double share, a double reward. So the people of the Torah said, Oh Allah, how come they work for less time, but they get more reward? Right? Because the people of the Torah work from when? From the beginning of the day until Dhuhr, right? And the time between Fajr and Dhuhr is the longest period of the day. So he says to him, Allah Azza replies, Did I oppress you in what I gave to you in terms of reward? They said, No. So he said, So that is my grace, my virtue, my bounty. I give it to whomsoever I will. And this hadith is in Sahih Bukhari. What is the shahid? What is the, you know, the point of this hadith here? Is the Prophet specified for us the time of the day, and that time is what? Between Asr and, and Maghrib. Therefore, showing what the virtue of, of Salatul Asr right? and the time of Asr. And so he says, therefore, that Allah Azza for him to take an oath by Asr and for it to refer to the prayer itself is something which has a basis in it in, in our Sharia and, and in the Sunnah. And similar to it is the hadith of Abu Musa al Ash'ari, radiallahu anhu, Sahih al Bukhari, when he says the example of the Muslims and the Jews and the Christians. It's like the example of a man who hires people to work for him. They work for him, that they should work for him all day long until the evening. So the first batch of workers comes and they only work until midday, meaning until around Dhuhr. And then they say, we have no need for your money. Right? We don't need to get paid for this. So the man has to then go and hire a new workforce, new people to work for him. And he says to them, you continue to work from this time until the end of the day, and I will pay you. So they do so, but they only continue until Salatul Asr. And then they say, that's all we can do, and they go. So then the man has to go, and he has to hire another group of people, and he says to them, for you, you must continue to work now from Asr until the end of the day, meaning until Maghrib, and you will have the reward of those who came before you as well, because they're the ones who finished the job, right? And so that's the example, and this is hadith is also in Sahih al-Bukhari. So this example here again of the Prophet ﷺ between the different nations that come, of the people of the book and the Muslims, again specifies the time period that we have as being the Asr time, right? The Asr time is the shortest time in the day, right? In terms of Fajr until Maghrib. Right, Fajr and Dhuhr is the longest, Dhuhr to Asr is the second longest, Asr to Maghrib is the shortest time of the daylight hours. And then it shows therefore that it's a time that is virtuous, has its you know, position within the Sharia. So you have those like four opinions, those who make it very general, those who specify it to the time of Asr, like that time period of Asr, those who specify it even more and say, you know, it's referring to the Salah, and then those who uh, those who, uh, or Muqatil, who says that is the lifetime of the Prophet and his time. The opinion that says that it is the most gen general is the one that Allah knows best seems to be the strongest but because it includes everything else. General time includes the time of the Prophet it includes the Asr time, it includes Salatul Asr, it includes everything, right? So it's general but it includes everything and that's why uh, Al-Imam Al-Tabari, Al-Shawkani, Ibn al-Qayyim, uh, Ibn Kathir, many others, they chose that time. And uh, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah, in his tafsir also seems to lean towards that. And he says that rather it's referring to time in general because Allah is taking an oath by the time and what we do with that time. So it's not just the concept of time, but it's what we achieve in the time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us.
the good that we do or the evil that we do, right? And so therefore, it is not just about the time, but that Allah is drawing our attention to what we do with the time that we are given as well. And he said, as proof of that, Sheikh Shaqiti, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, he mentions the qira'a shadha, the peculiar recitation. So it's not one of the well-known recitations, but it's the recitation that's reported in Ali, radiyallahu an, that when he would recite this surah, he would say, wal-asr wa nawa'ibu dahr He would say, by the time and by the difficulties of life. Right? Nawa'ibu dahr the hardships of life, the difficulties of life. And he says, therefore, that shows that this is, even though it's not a qira'ah, it's not a recitation of the Qur'an, but a recitation or the, the qira'ah that's attributed to the companions is at the very least tafsir. At the very least, it is their understanding and the explanation of the verses of the Qur'an. So his understanding of this verse is what, therefore? That he takes an oath by time, that Allah Azza wa takes an oath by time, and it's not referring just to time itself, but the difficulties that you face, the challenges, the fitnas, the trials, the tests, all of that, that time brings within it, right? So the hardships that we face, the good that we do, the bad that we do, all of that, that's part and parcel of life. Allah Azza wa is taking an oath by all of it. Sheikh Jamaluddin al-Qasimi, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, tafsir al-Qasimi, he says that the Arabs used to have, like giving another you know, insight into why Asr is chosen, so we have Asr, but what's its significance? Al-Qasim says that it was from the customs of the Arabs that they would sit at this time of the day. They would sit at this time of the day of Asr, the Arab leaders, the chieftains, the noblemen, they would sit together at this time of Asr and they would speak to one another. And often at this time in their gatherings, what would they do? They would backbite, they would lie, they would cheat, they would slander, you know, they would say things which are unbecoming. And so the people started to say, you know, it became known that this time wasn't a good time. And so people used to curse that time of the day or say that it's the time of the day that the people become frivolous in it. They, they waste that time. So he says, so Allah took an oath by to show that the time of Asr is like any other time. There's good that's done in it and there's evil that's done in it, right? There's good that's done in it, there's evil that's done in it. People do good deeds, people do bad deeds. So the time itself is not the problem. It is what, it is what people choose to do with that time that is the issue. Right? And that's why in the hadith, you know, the famous hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah doesn't like those people who curse time. Because Allah says, I am time. Right? People curse time, but the problem is not with the time itself. It's not the problem that it's the time of the day or the month or the year or the morning or the night. It's what people choose to do in that time that makes it a good time or a bad and evil time. And that's why Imam al-Shawkani says something uh, similar as well. He says that Allah takes an oath by time. And that's because time has many lessons within it. From the passing of the day and the night. And from the passing of light into darkness. All of that is from Allah's signs, right? So the day, the alternation of the day and the night, the coming of morning and the evening, and the different things that it brings from cold and, and heat and from happiness and, 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 and hardship and sometimes disaster and sometimes whatever it brings, the seasons, all of this, it is from the signs that Allah brings. And that's what Shaykh Shaqiti says something similar and he says that Allah takes an oath by time because time is amazing. Nations come and nations go. And Allah's decrees come to pass and Allah's signs are seen. 
but time itself remains constant. The day comes, the night comes. Right? The days and the nights, they pass and they remain constant. But what is within that time, that is what Allah Azza wa places in terms of lessons for us. And that's why he says that Allah Azza wa takes an oath by this time. And he says, حَافِذُ عَلَى الصَّلَوَاتِ وَالصَّلَاةِ الْبُسْطَى Preserve the prayers and preserve the middle prayer, meaning Salatul Asr. And he says also that in the verse in Surah Ma'idah 106, when Allah Azza wa says that if you have people who bear witness and in testimony and in inheritance, they're bearing witness, you give your will to someone at the time of death, you're traveling and you don't have anyone else to give your final will to. So you find two people and you give them your final will. You say, this is what I want as my final wishes, my final will. You pass away, they return. Allah Azza wa says concerning the testimony of those two people, تَحْبِسُونَهُمَا مِنْ بَعْدِ الصَّلَاةِ You take testimony from them after the prayer. Shaykh Shankiti said that the correct opinion is that the prayer here is referring to Salatul Asr. That is after the Asr prayer. Why the Asr prayer? He said because amongst the Arabs, it had a status. It was a time that they would consider to be honorable and a time that they considered to have you know, more honor in it. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla, when he says, take them after a prayer to hold, to hold them to testimony, what it's referring to is not just any prayer because he says, as-sala, the prayer. What is the prayer? The prayer here is referring to Salatul Asr. And Imam al This is not Muhammad Mukhtar, this is Muhammad Al-Amin, the, the scholar of tafsir. No, it's not like he's saying that you can only do after Asr, but he's saying that that's what Allah is just referring to. Right? That's the time that you should do it, that's better to do it. Right? And that's because the Sharia does what? It makes people understand the gravity of a situation. So for example, for someone to uh, you know, take an oath by the Kaaba, or to take an oath by the Lord of the Kaaba, you know, like that kind of stuff, it's something which the Arabs understood its honor and its position, right? Like the sacred months and so on. So he's saying the same thing here, that the Arabs used to understand the honor of this prayer. I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore, especially, you know, even amongst Arabs, let alone non-Arabs, that they would consider Salatul Asr to have that special position. But it's something which the Arabs used to do, right? So often in the hadith, when you hear the Prophet ﷺ comes to the Kaaba and he prays and it's, you know, the time of always comes and he sits and, and the chieftains of Quraysh are there, many of the scholars say that's Asr time. Because after Dhuhr, it's too late, right? It's too hot, sorry, not too late, too hot, right? So they would either meet in the morning and converge, or they would meet after Asr as the sun was setting. And that's when they would discuss their issues, and that's when they would hold their gatherings and their meetings and so on. And so it's a, it's a time of the day that they used to understand and respect. Once Maghrib came in, everyone goes home, right? That's what they used to do. So it wasn't the case that they would have, you know, necessarily anything after the evening, after Salatul Maghrib. And Imam al-Razi says that Allah Azza wa takes an oath by the time of Asr, just as he takes an oath by al-Duha. And that's because the morning shows you something and the evening shows you something. He says the morning reminds you of the next day, meaning Yawm al-Qiyamah, that the day will come, that the earth will end. And the evening shows you that your time on earth is coming to an end, that your, your time is up and as the night falls, that your time is up and it is coming close to the end of your life. And he says also that Al-Hassan, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, Hassan al-Basri, he used to say that this was the time that the Arabs used to meet. And this was the time when people used to go to the marketplace in, in those days. They used to go in the marketplace during that time. And that's the time when they would meet one another. 
and they would sit with one another and they would discuss things with one another. And so therefore it was something which the Arabs understood in terms of you know, the, the superiority or the virtue of this time of the day. He says the third reason that Allah mentions this and takes an oath by Al-Asr is because the time itself was something which the Arabs understood to be a time that is holy, that a time that is, that, like Sheikh Shankiti said concerning that verse, that you hold them to testimony after the time of Asr. He has a hadith that he brings here, which is collected in Sahih Bukhari. The hadith of Abu Hurairah which shows the same thing that the Prophet said, three people Allah will not speak to on the day of judgment. Now, three people that Allah will not look at on the day of judgment, nor will he purify them, and they will have a, a, a painful torment. He said, the first of them, Rajulun, kana lahu fadlu ma'in bit-tariq, min ibn sabil A person who has extra water, extra provisions, and a poor traveler passes by looking for that, and they refuse to share with them. Right? That's the first person. The second person, Rajulun, a person who gives the bay'ah, a pledge of allegiance to a leader, a ruler, but they only do it for the dunya. If they get something in return, they'll be happy. If they don't get anything in return, they will be upset. And the third one, and a person who sells his, his in trade, he sells his possession, sells his, his property, or whatever it is, after Salatul Asr. And he says, by Allah, besides whom there is no God worthy of worship, I was given or I paid this much for it. So the person believes him and he buys it and he was lying. Right? These are the people that Allah Azza wa won't look at, won't purify, meaning won't forgive on Yawm Al-Qiyam and they will have a painful torment. And similar to it is the same hadith Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, but in Surah Nabi Dawood it has a slightly different wording. And that is what the Prophet said concerning those three. The other two are the same, but referring to the one who, who makes a, a purchase or a trade after Asr, he says, And someone who sells and purchases after Salatul Asr and he makes an oath that he is lying in. Why? Because they say that after Asr, what happens? It's the end of the trading day, right? Obviously, you have to look back at the time of the Prophet now where you have 24-hour Tesco's and Asda's and so on. But in those days, when after Asr is the final period of trade and then Maghrib, everything closes down. So someone comes looking for something and that person swears, by Allah, I only, you know, it cost me two pounds or you won't find it cheaper than here. Or you, and he takes an oath and he knows that he's lying. It's a lie, it's not true. That person will buy it based on that and then what will happen? is they'll maybe later discover on that actually the man was lying, but he's left, right? It's a market trading store. You don't have a fixed shop, so you can't find him again. And he cheats him or is trying to finish off his produce that he has. Maybe he has something which is going off, dates, barley, wheat, whatever. Something's going off, so he sounds it by taking a false oath. The Prophet specifies this. A person who sells something after Asr and he takes an oath that is lying in, right? So the Shaykh or Imam Murazi says, and this is one of the reasons why Allah Azzawajal therefore takes an oath by this time, because the Arabs, and it has a basis in the Sunnah, as we see from all of these ahadith in the verse of the Quran, in the, the, these ahadith of the Prophet, that there's a special time and place for all this in terms of Asr prayer during the day. Uh, and he says, and that's what they used to do, right? They used to do this in, uh, in the the time of the companions and the time of the Salaf, that after Asr was the, was the time that traders were known to 
cheat and to lie and to take false oaths. And he says, and that's why it's said about some of the Salaf, that the, they said that we understood from this, right, this oath, we understood the one on the, and this hadith that we mentioned, they said we understood what it means when the scholars used to say, beware of the one who sells ice after Asr. Beware of the one who sells ice after Asr. Why? Because after Asr he would say, have mercy on the one whose property, whose produce is going to melt, right? Have mercy on the one whose, you know, like the, the shop's going to, it's going to melt. If you don't buy from me now, it's not going to last till tomorrow, right? And so what he's trying to do is trying to pressure people and, 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 and you know, like find ways of getting them to commit to something that they don't need to commit to. And similar to it is other hadith of the Prophet like the hadith in Al-Bukhari, Abdullah ibn Umar, radiyallahu anhumah, the Prophet said, the one who misses Salatul Asr is similar to the one who has lost his family and his wealth. The one who misses Salatul Asr is like the one who misses or who has lost his family and his wealth. And in the hadith of Buraida al-Aslami, radiyallahu anhu, also in Sahih al-Bukhari, the narrator says that we were once in a battle or going towards a battle with Buraida, radiyallahu anhu, and he said to us, Pray the Asr prayer on time. For the Prophet said, whoever misses the Asr prayer will have all of his deeds rendered null and void. He has lost his deeds. Right? Showing you the importance of this Salah. And that's why you know, the scholars said that that's the Salah that Allah refers to in the Quran when he says, Preserve the prayers and preserve the middle prayer, it being Salatul Asr because of all of these different ahadith and narrations of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, so therefore this oath that Allah azza wa takes by time is to show Allah azza wa power in the alternation of the day and the night and what's placed within that day and night in terms of light and darkness and heat and cold and snow and rain and all of those things that show us Allah Azzawajal's power and his ability subhanahu wa ta'ala. But also he takes an oath by time because it is the time within which we do our deeds. It is what we you know, apply our trade in, if you like. That Allah Azzawajal has given us time. That's what we use. That's our, you know, like our capital that we use in terms of doing good deeds or in terms of bad deeds. And that's why he says that Allah Azzawajal says that most people don't realize this. They're not aware of this. They don't, they don't fathom this issue. And that's why in the following verse, Allah Azza wa says, indeed mankind is in loss. Because they don't realize that, right? They don't make that connection. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes mankind as being in loss because few are the people who realize the importance of time and take benefit of that time. Do you have any questions? No, no. Any questions here? Okay, so Allah Azza wa then goes on to surah, uh, to verse number two, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسُر Indeed, mankind is in loss, in a state of loss or in deep loss. The word um, inna means indeed or verily, right? It is one of the ways that the Arabs show emphasis and importance to something. The lamb in lafi khusr, lafi, the lamb in lafi is also for emphasis. It is also to denote importance. So um, I saw Sheikh Salah al-Sheikh, who's one of the scholars of Saudi Arabia, in his tafsir of the surah, he said that Allah Azza wa emphasizes in the surah 
three times the importance of what's being said. The first is by taking the oath in the first verse, wal-asr. The second is by mentioning inna, indeed or verily. And the third time is by using the lam at tawkid the lam in lafi khusr. The lam, because you can say inna linsana fi khusr. The lam is to add emphasis, to show further importance. So three times Allah Azza wa stresses the message of this surah. In a verse that is only three verses long anyway. In a surah that is only three verses long anyway. The wawa al-qasam, the, the oath, the inna, which means indeed or verily. And then the lam in the second verse in lafi khusr. One of them to show the same thing of importance and emphasis. Al-insan or insan, rather the word insan means man, mankind, right? And the Arabs differ as to what its root comes from and what the word insan actually means, like at its root level. It means mankind and, you know, humans and so on. But where, where does its root come from, right? The first opinion is that it comes from al-dhuhur, to be apparent. And why is it called al-dhuhur? Because the opposite creation is hidden, the opposite creation being jinn, right? So as the jinn are hidden and the jinn, the word jinn, its root word means to be hidden, right? The root word of jinn in the Arabic language contains and denotes the meaning of being hidden. That's why the jinn are called jinn because they are hidden. Jannah is called jannah because it is hidden from us in this life. The child in the womb is known as janin, right? Janin because it is hidden from eyes and so on, right? The one who's crazy in Arabic is called majnoon, right? Because their intellect has been hidden, right? So the word jinn or jannah comes from that root word. The scholars differ as to the root word of insan or, or ins, right? The first one or the first opinion is that it's the opposite of jinn and therefore it comes from making things apparent, bringing things close. And that's because we see one another and mankind is apparent, right? And they say, for example, Allah Azza wa Jal, when He says in the Quran, "Ya yuhaladina amanu, la tadkhulu buyutan, ghayra buyutikum hatta tastanisu, wa tusallimu ala ahliha." Oh, you who believe, don't enter into houses other than your own houses until you make istinas. What is istinas? They said it is to seek permission and to make your presence what known, right? To make your presence known, tastanisu. Right? And similar to it, you know, some of the scholars said that it comes from, the root meaning of it comes from uns, which means to seek, you know, to console one another, to seek contentment from one another. Because as humans, we are social beings, right? We, you know, we need people, we need people in our lives, we need people to be with us. And, and even if you're not a very sociable person, you will always have a few people that you are close to. So therefore, it comes from that meaning as well, right? So you make yourself well-known, you make yourself apparent, and because humans require that type of interaction, right? We want a family, we desire children, we desire a spouse, we desire people who are close to us. The second opinion, as Ibn Mandur mentions, and he says, and he attributes this opinion to Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma, he says, إِنَّمَا سُمِيَ الْإِنسَانُ إِنسَانًا لِيَنَّهُ عُهِدَ إِلَيْهِ فَنَسِي فَمْ نِسْيَانُ He says, Mankind was called mankind because they were given the covenant and they forgot it. Right? Mankind is called insan 
and it comes from nisya. Nisya means to forget, to be forgetful and heedless. And that is, as Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَلَقَدْ عَهِدْنَا إِلَىٰ آدَمَ مِنْ قَبْلُ فَنَسِيَا وَلَمْ نَجِدْ لَهُ عَزْمَا We gave the covenant to the children of Adam and they forgot. Right? They forgot. Yeah. So say that again. Yeah, as a reminder. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so, and Allah mentions this in the Quran. Right? He's ignorant. Right? Mankind forgets, it's ignorant, doesn't remember, is heedless, neglectful. Right? Those are all attributes that people, that Allah describes mankind of. Right? Because that's the nature of man. They will become heedless. They're easily distracted. They're hollow. Right? They're easily misled. They have very little self-discipline and so on. So even in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he mentions that when Allah first created Adam السلام, and before he blew into him in from his spirit, Iblis came and he saw this new creation. So he began, bihi. He began to make tawaf and walk around him and observe what is this new creation that Allah has created. And then after he made his you know, observations, he had a look, he analyzed. He said that indeed, This is a hollow creature. It will have no self-discipline. So he realized and he analyzed mankind and he understood the nature of people. That people will be easily misled, easily distracted, easily taken away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so some of the scholars said that therefore it's, and there are other opinions as well, that in, books, in the books of uh, Tafsir that are mentioned, some of them said that it comes from a nos. A nos means al-haraka. The, the, the word means to move, movement, right? And so therefore some of them said that's the, the original meaning of the word insan or ins. And that is that humans move, they're prone to move around and so on. Either way, the two most well-known opinions is that number one, it comes from a root word that means to be apparent, to make yourself known. And number two, that the root word refers to forgetfulness and heedlessness. And Allah Azza wa knows best. So Allah Azza wa when he refers to uh, mankind in this verse, therefore, inna al-insana, indeed man, right? The al is for what? What does the al do in the Arabic language? The alif lam specifies, right? Specifies. So normally, you know, when we say as-salah, the prayer, it's a specific type of prayer, right? Al-Kitab, when Allah says Al-Kitab in the Qur'an, the book is referring to the Qur'an, right? It's specifying. An-Nabi, Ya ayyuhan Nabi, O Prophet, the Prophet, is referring to the Prophet and so on. So the Al, usually what it does is it specifies. So the question here is, when Allah says, Inna al-Insan, al-Insan, is it specific or is it general? Right? If you say specific, then what do you have to do? You have to pinpoint who that person is, right? You have to specify who it is. And that is what some of the scholars of Tafsir did. It's reported that Ubay ibn Ka'ab, radiallahu anhu, Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu, said, it's referring to Abu Jahl. Right? Muqatil said, it's referring to Abu Lahab. Right? So some of them specified. The vast majority of the scholars said no. The al, if it enters into a general noun, 
it doesn't specify it in the sense that it specifies it to a person, but it specifies it in the sense that it makes it specific to all of, you know, the people that, or all of the things that fall within that term, right? Takes the whole meaning, the comprehensive meaning of that term. So when Allah says, Innal insan, indeed, you know, like literally the man is in loss or the mankind is in loss, he's not referring to a specific individual, but rather all of mankind. So it's not just specific to the disbelievers, not just specific to the Quraysh of the time of the Prophet or the Mushrikeen. It refers to everyone, all of mankind is in loss, whoever they may be, everyone is in loss. And so it refers to all of them. And that's what the majority of the scholars of Tafsir understood the verse to mean. Ka'ab uh, al-Ahbar rahimahullah said, it refers to Adam and all of his children. Adam mudurriyata. Or Adam and all of his children. And Muhammad ibn Ka'ab said, an-nasu kulluhum. Refers to all of the people. And they use as evidence for that the hadith in al-Bukhari of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, awwalu man yud'a yawm al-qiyamati Adam. The first person that Allah Azza wa Jalla will call on the day of judgment is our father Adam alayhi salam. فَتَرَاءَ ذُرِّيَّتُهُ So he will be made to see all of his offspring, everyone that came from him alayhi salam. And it will be said to them, this is your father Adam. So Adam will come and he will say, لَبَّيْكْ وَسَعْدَيْكْ I am here, O oh my Lord, and I am ready. So Allah Azza wa Jalla will say to him, take from your children, your offspring, the portion that will go into the fire. So he will say, and oh my Lord, and what is that portion that will go into the fire? And Allah Azza wa Jal will say, take from every 199. Take from one, every 199. So he said, oh messenger of Allah, if every, from every 100, 99 is taken and thrown into the fire, فَمَا بَقِيَ لَنَا أو فَمَنْ يَبْقَى مِنَّا Who will remain from us? Who is saved from us? He said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِنَّ أُمَّتِي فِي الْأُمَمِ كَشَعْرَةِ الْبَيْضَاءِ Indeed, the example of my ummah is like the white hair on the black ox. Like the white hair on the black ox, right? Meaning that it's not referring to the ummah of the Prophet So therefore, this hadith shows that the hadith, that the, the verse is general. Right? Allah Azza wa Jalla is referring to everyone in general. All of mankind is in loss except for those, and then obviously Allah Azza wa gives exceptions to the rule. And that's what Shaykh al-Shalqiti Rahimahullah said in his tafsir, It is including Muslims and non-Muslims, except for those that Allah Azza wa chooses to save. And some of the scholars said, as, you know, as we said, that it is specific to certain individuals or certain to the disbelievers. And he said, but the correct opinion is that it refers to everyone. So Allah Azza wa says, indeed, mankind is in loss. Lefi Khusr. Yeah. So for those people who explain that first or the second verse is if he's a how do then they explain the third the next verse? Yeah, so the two ways that you say that is number one is uh, so the question is how if we specify as being Abu Jahl or Abu Lahab or anyone else, how then do we explain it in light of the third verse? The first explanation to that is that they it is tafsir by example. As we said, it's common amongst the tafsir, so they don't mean that it's exclusive only to Abu Jahl, but what, what are they doing? They're giving you an extreme example of what that verse indicates. In the insan fi khusr, mankind is in loss, like Abu Jahl, like uh, Abu Lahab, like you know, Umayyah ibn Khalaf and so on. Right? And the second one is to say that no, the two verses are separate. 
Mankind is in loss, it's referring to those people. And then Allah Azza wa is making an exception of the believers. And he's saying, illa ladin, right? So they're, they're not bringing them together, but they're kind of like separating them in that way. Yeah, so it's still an exception to the previous verse, right? That those people are not in loss. Yeah, so, yeah, which is why the majority of the scholars didn't accept that, like, opinion, right? And I think, therefore, like, you know, the opinion of Ibn Abbas and others is the usual way that the scholars of Tafsir do this. And that is by example. That it's not meant to be exclusive. And there is a general principle in Arabic language and in Tafsir that the al in a general noun isn't to specify a person, right? It is something which... Uh, you know, is there to specify the whole of what is included within that term. So Allah Azza wa says, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرُ Indeed, mankind is in a state of loss or is in deep loss. They say that the asl or the origin of the word of al-khusr or khusran in Arabic language, which is usually in, in English translated as loss, it means to lose all of your capital, to lose everything worthy of worth that belongs to you and that's why it said you know that it's often used in um, in in terms of buying and selling in terms of trade and commerce so for example when Allah Azza wa refers to and the reason why so the question therefore is why does Allah if the asr of the word khasr or khusran or khusr is to lose all of your capital to lose all of your money to lose all of your wealth why does Allah Azza wa use it in, in the context of our life and time because for humans, our greatest capital is our life and our time, right? So our greatest capital that we have, the greatest, one of the greatest blessings, as is in the hadith I think we mentioned last week, where the Prophet said, نِعْمَتَانِ مَغْبُونٌ فِيهِمَا كَثِيرٌ مِنَ النَّاسِ Two blessings most of mankind is negligent of, good health and free time. So the greatest thing that Allah has given to you in terms of capital is the time that he has given to you in, your, in this life. Because that's what you have to use in terms of building your akhirah, in terms of accumulating good deeds, in terms of building your house in the next life. So when mankind is in loss, Allah Azza wa refers to it as khusran. And the asl in the Arabic language, even though it means loss in a general term, but the, the origin of the word in the Arabic language refers to a loss of capital, losing your wealth, losing what you possess and what you own. And so when Allah Azza wa loses when he uses this word rather, is to show that a person in this state of loss has lost the greatest of their capital, and that is their time in this life. And that's why Allah often refers to this in the Quran in terms of buying and trading, right? The time and what you do in life, he often refers to it in terms of trade. Allah says, for example, in Surah Baqarah verse 16:" Those are the ones who purchased misguidance with guidance, or guidance with misguidance. And they weren't profitable in their trade. And as Allah says in Surah Tawbah, verse 111, Indeed Allah has purchased from the believers their lives and their wealth, their wealth in return for paradise and in return for Jannah. So Allah refers to it often in the Quran, right, in Surah الصف يا أيها الذين آمنوا هل أدلكم على تجارة تنجيكم من عذاب أليم أو يهو بليف شرنات قايد يو تواز أتريد وأن الله كوز التجارة that will save you from a painful punishment 
So Allah Azza wa Jal often refers to it as a concept of buying and trading. Because your life and your time, you use it as a way to buy and trade in terms of good deeds and in terms of bad deeds. Okay, so there's a question here on, on line Abu Huraira, those 99 out of 100 also include the Ajuz and Majuj, and you're asking, is that then specific to just the Ummah of Adam? You mean just the people of his time rather than, no. So the hadith refers to all of, because the hadith is very clear, that it refers to all of Adam salam's progeny. And the other wording of the hadith is the hadith of, uh, very similar with the Prophet when Allah Azza wa would say to Adam salam, akhrij ba'ath al-nar, take out the portion of your children from the fire, and he will say, وَمَا بَعْثُ النَّارِ And they, and Allah Azza wa in that wording says, from every 1,999. And in that wording, when the companions question this, they see, he says to them, the 999 are from يَأْجُوجَ majuj, And the one are from you. Right? And that is another wording of the similar hadith. The way to understand that is that when Allah Azza wa is referring to this, the believers are the exception, right? They're the white hair on the black ox or whatever, you know, however you want to understand that. Therefore, what does that mean? It means that we look from the time of Adam alayhi salam to the end of time and you take that as a whole, right? So when Allah Azza wa says in Surah Al-Waqi'ah, when he speaks about the sabiqoon as-sabiqoon, right? And he says to them, ثُلَّةٌ مِنَ الْأَوَّلِينَ وَقَلِيلٌ مِنَ الْآخِرِينَ that the people who will, have, who will be at the forefront, the sabiqoon and sabiqoon, the majority of them are from the past nations, and the few are from, this, are from those who will later follow. How is that understood? Because the majority in terms of all of the prophets who came before. So you have all of the prophets and all of the nations and all of the believers from them. And so the majority are from those people who came before us. The few are from those who will follow. We are the ones who followed as one ummah. We are therefore akhirin, right? We are the ones who came later. So it's understood in the context of, of the whole and not just of the time of Adam alayhi salam. And also because, you know, were there disbelievers in the time of Adam alayhi salam? Exactly. So, you know, because the first prophet that comes is who? No, after Adam alayhi salam, the first messenger that's sent in terms of bringing people to Tawheed is Nuh alayhi salam. So before that, the people, as in, in the notion of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, the people who want tawheed for, you know, I think it says 10 generations is the wording of the hadith, right? So that means that they were untawheed. So therefore, the hadith can't just apply to the time of Adam alayhi salam because then you, you have to like try to deal with that issue as well. The word khusr and khusran Yeah, so they're the same thing. So the khusr that Allah Azza is referring to in Surah Al-Asr and the hadith that we mentioned of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu about the 99 out of 100 going to the fire, it's the same thing. Because anyone who doesn't fulfill those four conditions that Allah mentions in the final verse, they're fi khusr, right? They're in loss. What is that loss? That loss is khusr al-dunya wal-akhirah. 
right? They've lost this life and they've lost the, the next. That's what Allah Azza is referring to, right? And that's why you know, we will come on to this. But Sheikh Saadi, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, he says, وَالْخَسَارَةَ تَتَفَاوَتْ Right? Losses of different types and different levels as well. People who will lose everything because they will have disbelief. They didn't believe in Allah Azza wa Jal. They didn't do anything good. So therefore, for them, it is a complete state of loss. And then you have people who have different levels of loss. People who had iman, but they didn't do good deeds. They are still in a state of loss. Right? But maybe Allah Azza wa Jal will have a certain amount of rahmah for them and forgiveness and so on. And then people of Iman and Amal al-Salih, but they don't do the Amr bil ma'roof and Nahi al-Munkar. They don't advise one another. They don't do the Sabr. They don't. So it is, he says, it is of levels. And Allah knows best. The word Khusr and Khusran is mentioned numerous times in the Quran. And one of the things that you will notice is in the vast majority, if not in all of those instances, it is always referred to in terms of uh, the hereafter and in terms of people who turn away from Allah Azza wa Jal. And Allah Azza wa Jal often refers to those people as khasirin, as losers. Or it describes what they're doing as khusran, as being in a state of loss. And that's because they haven't used the time that they have to make the most important decision and to take the most important step and to make that one crucial decision that their salvation depends on. So for example, when Allah Azza wa Jal says in Surah Nisa, verse 119, وَمَنْ يَتَّخِذِ الشَّيْطَانَ وَلِيًّا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ فَقَدْ خَسِرَ خُسْرَانًا مُبِينًا Those who take shaitan as a helper besides Allah, they have indeed suffered the greatest, most manifest loss. In Surah An'am, verse 31, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَدْ خَسِرَ الَّذِينَ كَذَّبُوا بِلِقَاءِ اللَّهِ Those who disbelieve, who reject the meeting with Allah, are indeed in loss. In Surah Baqarah 64, Allah Azza wa Jal says, فَلَوْلَا فَضْلُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَتُهُ were it not for Allah's rahmah, his mercy and his bounty upon you, you would have been from the losers. In Surah Al-Imran, verse 85, And whoever chooses Islam, a religion other than Islam as their way of life, it won't be accepted from them and they will be in the, in the hereafter from the khasirin, from the losers. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse number 5, وَمَنْ يَكْفُرُ بِالْإِيمَانِ فَقَدْ حَبِطَ عَمَلُهُ وَهُوَ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ And whoever disbelieves in Iman will have their actions rendered null and void and they will be in the hereafter from the losers. In Surah Araf, verse number 9, وَمَنْ خَفَّتْ مَوَازِينُهُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ خَسِرُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ And those whose deeds or whose scales will be light, they will be from those who will suffer loss. In Surah Araf, verse 23, in the dua of our father Adam alayhi salam, وَتَرْحَمْنَا And if you don't forgive us and show mercy upon us, we will be from the losers. In Surah Araf, verse 99, Do they think themselves safe from Allah's plotting? None is safe from it except those who are, or no, none think that they are safe from it except for those who are from the losers. So therefore it's a concept and it is something which Allah Azza wa mentions many times in the Qur'an. Uh, and that is the concept of the loss that is felt by those people, experienced by those people who turn away from Allah, disbelieve in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who come on the day of judgment with not enough good deeds 
but their scale of deeds is light in terms of their good deeds. Those who take shaitan as their wali, as their hawpa, as their assistant, those who prefer his way to the way of Allah Azza In the Quran, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala refers to all of this when you bring it together as khusran, right? as loss. And so when Allah Azza wa Jal says, Inna al-insana lafi khusr mankind is in a state of loss, it is a very general word, right? a very general statement. But if you look at the detail in the Quran, in the other context that is mentioned, it includes all of these things. Includes all of these, are all different types of loss. And that's why I was saying, as Shaykh Sa'adi rahimahullah mentions in his tafsir, that the loss that is mentioned in the Quran is of different levels. You have a full and total and complete loss. And then you have people who will be in a state of loss, but their loss will be less, right? Depending on if they had Iman. If they had Iman along with good deeds. If they had Iman along with good deeds and they try to do good for others as well and try to do what is good and stay away from what is evil. And inshallah, I think we'll, we'll stop there for this week. Um, we still have more to go with this verse, but it's it's still quite uh, quite a while to go. So I think we'll stop there. Any questions before we conclude? No? Okay. So inshallah, uh, next week, bismillah ta'ala, same time. Barakallahu feekum, muslim bin Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.